Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Tatman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood. Let's get radical about philosophy. Invisible, repetitive, exhausting, unproductive, uncreative. These are the adjectives which most perfectly capture the nature of housework. Angela Davis, Women, Race and Class, 1981. This is Joe Nessel speaking on and for Radical Philosophy at 3CR. I can remember speaking early when I first arrived uh, to Melbourne at a program called the Women's Shed, and that was my introduction to the wonders of community radio, which are more important in the world now than ever. Welcome to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. And today we're going to have an interview about who does the cleaning up. And I'm speaking to Kathy Weiss about her research into domestic work. Now, what was it that inspired you to do this research? Well, I was initially interested in paid domestic work because of the, the intersecting issues of the economic exploitation of women's work and the political nature of women's oppression in the family. And I was also interested in the way that domestic labour has become globalised in the context of globalisation and the increasing migration of women from poorer regions to perform domestic work in richer countries. So I was interested in the relationships between politics and economics in this issue from a feminist perspective. But then as I started to read, I became increasingly shocked by the extent of abuse and exploitation of domestic workers, which I hadn't known anything about to begin with. When I started to read the research in this area, I was really quite shocked to see that, without exception, when they were talking about abuse of domestic workers, it was explained in terms of the relationship between female employers and the, and the workers. Domestic workers do face a great deal of exploitation and abuse, and particularly when they're migrants. And so one of the things interesting about this is that the forms of the abuse are basically similar wherever you look in the world, though the severity does vary a bit. But to understand this abuse, researchers are basically only looking at relationships between female employers and workers. And there's certainly no doubt that these relationships are frequently very exploitative and abusive. And there are large power differentials often between female employers and workers, particularly um, to do with race and class and citizenship status. But nonetheless, to me, it seemed really strange that the researchers were only focusing on the women employers because I'm a feminist and domestic work is so much an issue of men exploiting women's labour in the private home. And to me, this is it's still a, a case of men exploiting women's labour, whether we're talking about women who are wives or daughters or even domestic workers. So it seemed to me that the research on domestic work was ignoring the wider context in which these exploitative relationships between women, employers and workers was taking place. So I started to think about the patriarchal family. Yeah, well, the first thing that comes to mind when you say to me is domestic work is 
work around the home. So mm. it, it seems quite strange, doesn't it, that they've decided to do research into another field, which I don't think people, most people would think of straight away, would they? I suppose not. But in, in a sense, it's, it's sort of fairly logical that researchers are focusing on women employers and workers because that's what's most visible because women tend to be the ones who manage the household and so they tend to be the ones who will define the work that domestic workers are doing. They might define the level of their pay and they might explain the tasks that have to be done and how they want them to be done. So this is definitely the most visible form of interaction that's taking place in households that employ domestic workers. Why aren't researchers on domestic work looking at relationships between male employers and domestic workers? Well, I think there are a few factors, and one of them is the one that I just mentioned about it being very... It's more obvious that women employers have something to do with domestic workers. But I think there's also a historical aspect in terms of the the development of feminist research over time. So a lot of the research on paid domestic work is quite recent. So, for example, the work I looked at in the US really only began in 1985, and I think probably the first work in the world was actually in 1980, and that was a work by Jacqueline Koch on South Africa. So before that, most of the research on domestic work was focused on unpaid domestic work. So it focused on that which was performed mainly by wives for their husbands. This work obviously focused really strongly on relationships between men and women, and it mostly didn't mention paid domestic work at all. So this more recent research is it's partly in response to that earlier research and it's in response to what these researchers see as the erasure of the experiences of women of colour and of poorer women because it's these women who perform the majority of paid domestic work. So I suppose you could say that it's also linked to the cultural turn um, in social sciences towards more postmodernist things and a different, the rise of difference feminism which focuses on the differences between women rather than the issues that affect women as a group. I think it's also part of just following the general aims of feminist research that have developed since the 1970s. And one of these aims was to, and is, to uncover and make visible the experiences of women that have been ignored or made invisible in mainstream or mainstream research. So this research does focus on women and it focuses on some of the most marginalised women in society, the poor women, the women of colour and the migrant women. But I think this focus on women has also led to a focus on women employers And as a result, it tends to ignore and make invisible the role of male employers in making domestic workers' lives miserable and also in perpetuating the system that allows them to be so, so greatly exploited in these underpaid menial jobs. What do feminist theorists say about the patriarchal family? They say they have a lot of things to say, as probably not surprisingly, Um, but I suppose from from my perspective as a feminist political theorist, I think that the focus on female employers and domestic workers avoids some really important questions that arise from what feminist theorists have to say about the family. So these are questions like why why women in charge of organising household work? Has it always been this way? How is it linked to the patriarchal structure of the family? And I also think that it ignores a lot of things that feminist theorists know about what goes on in families. So um, issues around the way that women are controlled by men within the context of the patriarchal family through economic exploitation, through sexual violence and through other forms of abuse. And feminist theorists do know a lot about these things when they're talking about wives or female partners but, and a lesser extent also children, but they, they really don't know about how it affects domestic workers. So that's something that's quite important. But there's a lot of things that feminist theorists have said about the family which are extremely relevant to domestic work domestic workers, paid and unpaid, and 
I guess what I'm most interested in is the idea of the family as a political institution. So the nature of the political is commonly defined in liberal democratic theory um, in a way that's limited to what is known as the public sphere. And that's most commonly associated with the actions of states in the modern tradition of representative government. But mainstream liberal democratic theorists then tend to assume that what happens in the private sphere is not political. They tend to claim that it's natural and therefore unquestionable. And the well-known feminist saying the personal is political challenges this assumption. So feminists point out that what happens in the private sphere is also political. The patterns of relations within families are consistent and persistent, and they involve power and authority. Specifically, these relations involve the submission of women to men and children to parents. One particular feminist interpretation of power relations in the family, which I'm particularly interested in, comes from the French feminist theorist Christine Delphi. Delphi doesn't belong to the most well-known group of French feminists who are more post-structuralist. So that's um, women like Hélène Sixou and Luce Irigaray and Julia Kristeva. But she's one of the founders of a, an earlier tradition of feminist thought known as materialist feminism. So writing with Diana Leonard, who's a British sociologist, she argues that families constitute a system of labour relations in which men benefit from and exploit the work of women. She sees the family as being a structure governed by the domestic mode of production, where production is defined very broadly as including practical, emotional, sexual, procreative and symbolic work. Delphi and Leonard therefore see marriage as involving the appropriation of the wife's labour by her husband, the male head of the family, and they see the primary reason for the existence of the institution of marriage to be the facilitation of the systematic appropriation of women's labour by men. So, could you tell us more about materialist feminism and how does it differ from other branches of feminist theory? So, the French materialists started developing their theory around the ends of the 1960s and the beginning of the 1970s in parallel with the development of what's often called second-wave feminism. So probably a lot of people have heard of Monique Wittig, who was, one, who was part of this group, and she's one of the most well-known, partly because she spent a lot of time in America and wrote a lot in English. They're, they're often called the materialist feminists because they use the Marxist materialist method. According to Christine Delphi, who was one of the group's founders, this method included two foundations. Firstly, it had a theory of history written in terms of the domination of social groups by one another for the purposes of exploitation. And secondly... It included the postulate that the organisation of all societies is founded on the material production and reproduction of life. So, consequently, uh, materialist feminism defines men and women as classes or castes with opposing interests. Uh, it's although it does derive a lot of its its method from Marxism. It's important to note that materialist feminism is very different from Marxist and socialist feminism. And in fact, the materialist feminists have been very heavily criticised by Marxist feminists for supposedly doing Marxism wrong. I suppose the key difference between these two branches of feminism in the simplest sense is that Marxist and socialist feminists see the source of women's oppression as being in capitalism, but materialist feminists see it as being coming from elsewhere. So to illustrate this, we can look at what I was talking about before about the conception of the family. Marxist feminists have traditionally been very interested in the exploitation of women's labour in the family, but this is because they see it as contributing to the production in the capitalist sphere. So, in other words, they see the unpaid work that women do in the home as constituting the reproduction of men's labour power for capitalism. 
So women make food for workers, they wash their clothes, they soothe their battered egos through emotional labour, and they perform so-called sexual labour by servicing their husbands sexually. So, therefore, according to Marxist feminism, women's labour in the household serves capitalism by producing workers that will then work in capitalism's industries. In contrast, Delphi and Leonard, the materialist feminists, show that a large part of the work that women do in the home is completely unnecessary for capitalism, and they argue that it benefits not capitalism but men themselves, in primarily the women's husbands. So, for example, this explains why all women perform unpaid domestic labour, not just women who are married to members of the proletariat, but also women who are married to bourgeois men or men from the capitalist class. Materialist feminists see the Marxist feminist insistence that the oppression of women is due to capitalism as being a dismissal of the importance of women's oppression. They conclude that the appropriation of women's labour in the household benefits men primarily and capitalism only indirectly. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55 on your AM dial. And I'm speaking to Cathy Weiss about domestic work. How can materialist feminism illuminate the experiences of domestic workers? Well, the materialist feminist didn't talk about or don't really talk about domestic workers at all, and they have been criticised for this. But I think that their work is still really useful for explaining the experience of domestic workers because it focuses so strongly on women's labour, particularly the work of Delphi and Leonard, which focuses on it in the family, though other feminists who are part of this tradition have looked at it in other ways. So if you accept this conception of the family... Domestic, and you accept the fact that domestic workers work within the family, then it seems logical that domestic workers are going to be caught up somehow in this structure. And it is actually really common to read in research on domestic workers the phrase that they're just like one of the family. Um, and this is a phrase that's used both by employers and by workers to describe the workers' relationship to the family in which they work. But what the workers often point out is that they're not really part of the family. Even though they might be treated with friendliness and affection, this is usually accompanied by a patronising paternalism and they're obviously completely unequal to the real family members because it hardly seems to be a family-like relationship when one person is acting essentially as a servant for all the others. Research of the domestic work usually make this point about workers supposedly being part of the family in order to show the exploitative nature of, domestic, of paid domestic work and how workers are manipulated by the formation of emotional ties between them and their employers. This is true, but it only makes sense if your understanding of the family is one of a, 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 like a happy, idyllic, egalitarian group of people who are bound together by love for one another. But this is very frequently not the case for women and children in contemporary male-dominated families, where abuse is rampant. In Australia, for example, it's estimated that one in five women have been abused by a male partner and one in five women and one in ten men have been sexually abused as children. So when I hear the phrase, just like one of the family, relating to domestic workers, I think that it reveals something completely different. And what it shows is something very profound and very deep-rooted about the patriarchal family. And this is related to its potential to absorb people who aren't biologically related to it. And if you look historically at the development of the family in the Western world, this is what it has been. Not a group of people who are related to one another, but rather a collection of people who live together under a single male head. So if we go all the way back to the Middle Ages in Europe, the idea of the noble family was comprised of the lord, his wife and children, various relatives who lived in the household, 
all of the servants and all of the peasants who lived on the estate. And at this time, the male family head, who was a patriarch in the traditional sense of the word, he had absolute control over all of the so-called family members. And it was only later, over the 17th and 18th centuries, that the definition of the family changed to become something closer to the nuclear family that predominates today, in many Western contexts at least. So this is an idea of a family as being a much smaller group of people who are biologically related and who are bound primarily by ties of affection. I don't think it's a coincidence that it was over this period that control over servants passed from the hands of the male household head to his wife. This was part of a process in which the image of the male household head, or the patriarch, changed from that of an all-powerful tyrant to that of a kind, benevolent benefactor. So this goes some way towards answering some of the questions I posed earlier as to whether women have always been in charge of household management and the conditions under which this situation arose. So I believe that the fact that domestic workers are still very widely considered to be part of the family, I think that this shows that elements of the patriarchal family structure that predominated as far back as the Middle Ages are still present in contemporary families, even though in a much weaker form. And this goes hand in hand with the feminist theories of the family that I mentioned earlier, which demonstrate that patriarchal control of men over women is still a major feature of family life today. So going back to the materialist feminists, the reason why their theories are so useful to explain the experience of domestic workers is that they maintain the primacy of male domination. So the theory of the family developed by Delphi and Lemon, for example, retains the idea of the structure of the family dominated by a male head who appropriates the labour of other family members. Although they focus on the appropriation of wives' labour, they also mention that children's labour is appropriated, especially girls'. So there's clearly room in that structure to include domestic workers, whose work is also appropriated and contributes to the benefit of the, ma the male household head, even though it also benefits other household members. And it's also possible to see how the abuse of domestic workers by female employers, and also by other family members like children, can take place in this wider framework. You also use radical feminism in your work. How does it fit with the materialist feminist analysis? Well, I compared materialist feminism to Marxist feminism earlier, but it's also possible to compare it to English language radical feminism. And I say English language because the materialist feminists actually refer to themselves as radical feminists a lot of the time, but there are some important differences between materialist feminism and radical feminism as it developed in the English-speaking world. So the two branches of feminist theory have a lot in common, most obviously in that they both see that the source of women's oppression is outside of capitalism. So we could say that they see it as coming from patriarchy. And in fact, radical feminists would agree entirely with materialist feminists over much of what I've already talked about in terms of the control of male heads over other family members, including the exploitation of their labour. But one of the most important differences between the two is that radical feminism focuses much more on sexual exploitation. So materialist feminists see that the primary means of women's oppression is economic exploitation. So in terms of the appropriation or exploitation of women's labour. Radical feminists, in contrast, they see the primary means of women's oppression as being sexual exploitation. So in their analysis of power relations within the family, radical feminists tend to focus to a much greater extent on sexual exploitation, so the sexual abuse of wives and children by, by husbands and fathers even though they also acknowledge that economic exploitation takes place as well. So when we're going back to talk about domestic workers, 
The problem with materialist feminism, where it really falls down, is in explaining sexual abuse. And the sexual abuse of domestic workers is extremely common, so I think it therefore needs to be carefully analysed. But this hasn't really been done so far because most of the researchers of domestic work just see sexual abuse as being another form of abuse without noticing that it's perpetrated only by male employers. This isn't true at all for the other forms of abuse that domestic workers experience, which are just as likely to come from the female employers than the male employers. But if you try to you analyse sexual abuse of domestic workers using materialist feminism, it doesn't really work because, in my opinion at least, it doesn't really have a coherent theory of male violence against women. So, for example, if you look at the work of Paula Tabi, who's one of the, most, the foremost materialist feminists, she wrote extensively about prostitution, and this is seen by radical feminists as, being a, as a primary form of male violence against women. But she interprets it instead as being a form of economico-sexual exchange. So you can see really clearly here the primacy that's accorded to economic exploitation rather than sexual exploitation. So radical feminist analyses of male domination in the family see sexual exploitation as being at its very core. So just to give an example, in the analysis of marriage, radical feminists will point out the importance of the fact that rape is considered impossible in marriage. Historically, wives have been considered so much their husband's property that their consent to sexual intercourse has been considered completely irrelevant. Even though in many countries today marital rape is illegal, these laws were introduced relatively recently and they're still very rarely enforced and very difficult to enforce. Uh, radical feminists have also developed sophisticated analyses of male sexual abuse of children within the family. And this is also a phenomenon that is extremely common, as I mentioned earlier. So from a radical feminist perspective, uh, looking at the prevalence of sexual abuse of women and children in the family suggests the continuing prevalence of male sex right over other family members which was certainly something that existed in the Middle Ages, but it's not something that we really think of happening so much today. So I think also that the prevalence of sexual abuse of domestic workers suggests, once again, that they are considered to be part of the family on quite a deep fundamental level. And this suggests that the male sex right extends to them as well. Do you think that with the changing of the family structure that anything on the domestic work level has actually changed? Well, I think if you look at the statistics in terms of time use that have been that have come out of western countries in the past, you know, 40, 50 years, they actually show that very little has changed. Men have started to do a very small amount of extra housework compared to women, maybe a few minutes extra a day, and women still do the vast majority of it. And when you look at the things that the men are actually doing, they tend to do the things that are considered more interesting and more sophisticated. So, for example, men might do the cooking or they might do the cooking on special occasions when they can make something that's kind of more gourmet or fancy. But when you look at who's actually doing the vacuuming and the day-to-day -day cooking and the boring drudge work, it's usually women or it's domestic workers who are also usually women. Yeah, I've always found that interesting how uh, women are, are known as cooks but men are known as chefs, aren't they? You, you look yeah. at all the top chefs in the country, it's, it's very male-dominated, isn't it? Mm. And it's interesting how fields that have become better paid over the years, say, for example, even, even teachers and nurses, I mean, they were 
dominated by women years ago. But now, now you look at it, because there's a higher level of pay, men have sort of come into this mm. field. And, uh, and you also find that there's a big pay gap between men and women in those fields, which I think is fascinating. Mm, yeah, yeah, and I'm sure it's the same with uh, with the uh, cooks and the chefs. You know, there'd be Absolutely. a big yeah discrepancy between pay as well. So, yeah, so not not much has changed on the domestic work front. Oh, well, thanks very much for coming in today. Well, thank you. And I've been speaking to Kathy Wees on domestic work. This is Emma Larking. I'm a postdoctoral fellow at the Australian National University and I love the program Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55 on the AM dial.